Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Rico, and we've got a great show for you tonight, this Thursday evening, August 10th, almost uh, the middle of the month, and it's uh, hard to believe uh, summer's over for some of you over uh, out there, and uh, kids are, are headed back to school for, in uh, much of the country, not everywhere, but uh, much of the country, so uh, thank the Lord for that, because I'll tell you, those little monsters drive you nuts through the summer, so I'm glad they're back in school uh, where they belong. But anyways, thank you for joining tonight uh, on Golf Talk Live. I've uh, got a great show for you. going to be uh, starting here in just a moment uh, with another great round of Coach's Corner with two uh, fabulous uh, golf professionals been on the show a number of times and haven't been on here for a little while. And that's, uh, of course, my fault, and I'll explain in a minute. Um, John Hughes and, and Peter Agazarian, uh, he'll be joining us here. Both of them will be joining me uh, here in just a moment. Uh, and a little bit later on in the broadcast, uh, going to be joined back again by uh, Peggy Rhodes White. Uh, she's the founder and CEO of the Ted Rhodes uh, Foundation. Uh, her daughter Tiffany White will be joining us as well. She's a board member of the foundation. And uh, two up-and-coming professionals, uh, Christian Heavens and uh, Patrick Harris, they'll be joining me a little bit later on in the broadcast as well. Um, but uh, let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live uh, Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, just go to the network, type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you during the live broadcast. You can listen to the show uh, when it's live, or if you're not able to tune in live, not to worry, uh, just go to that link, scroll down to the page to the on-demand section, and all of the previously aired shows, of course, are there in its entirety. You can listen to it when it's convenient for you. Uh, you can also go to Stitcher or iTunes.com, and under the podcast section, do the same thing. Just type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you there. If you're somebody that likes to listen to those, uh, either of those platforms, that's iTunes.com and Stitcher.com. Um, uh, you can check them out there as well. Uh, also, if you want to call in during the live broadcast, we'd always, always love to hear from you. Uh, number to call is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you're welcome to email me uh, personally, and if you have any comments or questions, or maybe you'd like to come on the show if you're uh, somebody in the golf profession, doesn't have to be a teacher or a golf pro, uh, maybe you're an entrepreneur, or maybe you've written a great golf book that you'd like to share with the audience, uh, by all means, please reach out to me. My email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And, of course, last but not least, always update on social media. You can find it on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and also on LinkedIn and many other social media networks. Uh, just uh, follow me personally, or uh, my Twitter handle is tedandbuckceo, and that's CEO in capital letters. Uh, or you can go to the Golf Talk Live blog on Facebook and get the updates there as well. Um, as I said, I've got two great gentlemen uh, coming on here tonight, uh, both uh, – fabulous professionals and uh, i'm going to read a little bit out about each of them and then we'll bring them on we're going to have a great uh, discussion tonight in coach's corner uh first up of course is a good friend john hughes as uh, a pga master professional and vice president of the north florida pga section and was the recipient of the 2013 pga of america horton smith award uh as well as the golf tips magazine top 30 instructor 
and uh, one of my favorite guests on the show. Uh, also, another uh, becoming a good friend is uh, Peter Agazarian. He's a PJ professional as well as TPI uh, teaching uh, professional, and he's uh, out of the Traconic uh, Golf Club. He's also the founder of the Northeast uh, Golf Performance and a member of the Proponent Group. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Coach's Corner. Even. How are you, Ted? I'm doing well, and it looks like we might have lost Peter. Um, we'll wait for him to call back again. John, how you been? Busy, and that's a good thing during the summer. <laughs> Busy doing one thing or another. It's it's Florida's always uh, a portrayal of either side of the coin uh, based on where you are in Florida, July and August. But have had a good productive summer and looking forward to a good fall. Very good. And Peter, I know we lost you there uh, temporarily, but uh, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Ted. Thanks so much. Sorry about that. Mm, just had a little. No, little not, cell not a problem. Dropped, uh, been so. down that. Been there many times myself, so uh, no worries. All right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna start things off a little bit um, on on the discussion here. You know, there's an old saying: uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but we know that that's not true. You can if if you're willing to work hard enough. Um, and and John, I'm gonna let you go first. Um, basically what the premise of this question is, we obviously have a lot of senior golfers out there, of course, as the population ages, and a lot of golfers out there, um, millennials coming up, and then, of course, some of our seasoned veterans out there. Um, there's always something that they're trying to tinker with or work on their game. Uh, if you were working with a, a senior golfer, and I'm going to just throw a, a number here, say around 65 to 70 in that range, um, and you wanted to teach them something new, um, or certainly something that they could uh, get value out of their of their game uh, every time that they go out there. What would it be? Well, this is an old old answer, but I'm going to go about it in a little bit different way. Let's examine that phrase you said: "Teach an old dog." What's the operative word there? Let's take "old" out and just for the fun of it, just leave "dog" in there. What do all dogs like to do? They like to have fun. They like to be recognized. They like to participate. They like to be right there in the middle of the action. I've never owned a dog, nor have I ever come across a dog that doesn't want to be there. So when you look at it from that standpoint of view and take the word old out, you'd sort of hit on it. It is about willingness, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what age you are. It's all about having fun. Uh, I've talked about this Mm -hmm. a lot over my career and, what I see, I don't care what skill it is, uh, short game, full swing, got your your own self-management, doesn't matter. If you're having fun at what you do, you're going to do it better because you're going to want to do it more often. Right. And those repetitions are what create the more solid, more consistent parts of your game. All about having fun. I, 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 do, I teach a lot of 65- and 70-year-olds during a two- to three-month span here in Florida when it's vacation golf school season. And what I mean by a lot right. isn't like hundreds of them, but, you know, once or twice a month, that is the predominant client that comes in, and they think it's going to be torture. They think I'm, I'm a drill sergeant. Let's hit 400 balls and do <laughs> DJ Singh. No, that's, that's not it. Right. How often do you play? How often do you practice? Let's put it into a realistic perspective here and use the word fun to not only ingrain skill, but to test it. And that's where I see 
I'm going to call advanced or more experienced golfers getting the most out of some practice time. It's not necessarily about creating a better swing plane or closing or opening the face at the top of your swing. It's about testing yourself and, and making little contests out of it, scrimmaging yourself in so many words and creating some fun. That's the bottom line. Take the word old out. All dogs have one thing in common. They want to have fun. Yep. Well said. I, I like that answer. Um, Peter, what about you? Um, uh, you know, uh, kind of taking on the, the theme there, uh, obviously we want uh, everybody to have fun regardless of their age, as, as John pointed out. Um, but there's there's some golfers out there that maybe, you know, they, they play a decent round of golf and, and maybe there's a, a go-to shot they're looking for or maybe there's a part of their game that you feel that, hey, I can, I can do something here that's going to help the, the bottom the bottom line is they want to score a little bit better. Um, they want to be mm-hmm. more consistent out there. What would you suggest mm-hmm. uh, or what is it you have in mind uh, when working with some of your uh, older golfers? Yes, for someone in that age range, the, they have plenty of life experiences and I just enable them to relate to those experiences and draw on those and how they can find context in those experiences and apply it to their golf game. Um, you know, experiences, there's no, there's really no substitute for that experience and whether it's athletic, um, it's something I've, for, I've related to knitting before because one, one mm-hmm. stitch happens before another, um, for a woman, um, right. that happened to be her hobby. Um, you know, when you're looking at someone that's in that age range, they they have those experiences and if, if they can relate to something that they've done for so long, if they're a beginning golfer or if they're a person that's been golfing for quite a while, they've been doing that item, that, that task or that sport or that hobby for the same duration of time. There's a chance that it's more ingrained. It's more reactionary. It's more, uh, as they'll call it second nature. And then they're applying that second nature movement to, to their golf game or their golf swing, or there's some aspect or some shot. And, they find it to be relatable and then they can really draw on those past experiences. And that's, I've seen people in that age range and also no matter what age really find a lot of success in, in relating and finding some kind of context and not just trying to learn the, 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 the shot you're executing as a standalone technique, but really again, drawing on prior experiences. Great answer as well, Peter. Thank you. Uh, Boy, I'll tell you, if we could have if we could have extended this for the full hour, I could end the show right now and have been on a, a positive note. Thanks, guys. That was fantastic. Um, okay, show's over. Thanks, more questions. <laughs> yeah, show's, show's over. Thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel. We're going to end it good like night. that. We're going to have fun, and we're going to draw. Yeah, good night. We're going to draw on our experiences. That, that was fantastic, guys. Thank you very much. Um, all right. We, we know that, that everybody, it doesn't matter what level of player you are. Peter, I'm going to bounce it back to you just to, just to sort of mix it up so it's not sure. always uh, uh, John starting off. Um, we're all going to find some trouble out in the golf courses, uh, whether it be um, you know a fairway bunker, whether it be a greenside bunker or some, some uh, gnarly rough or whatever the case may be. Um, there's lots of trouble out there. Um, how do we help our students avoid that? First off, let's, let's look at it from... Um, a, a mental side of, of, of approach. 
because a lot of people have anxiety, which is going to lead into my next question here in a minute. But a lot of people have mm-hmm. anxiety. They step up to the T and they see all kinds of trouble. So let's let's tackle it from that standpoint. And then, John, um, I'm going to let you talk about um, from the physical side of things, uh, how they can set up a little bit differently and so on. So, so Peter, if you wouldn't mind, let's talk about the anxiety issue uh, of dealing with trouble. And then, John, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the physical side, how they can set up to avoid it and some, some things that you would suggest uh, that they do. So, Peter, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a big deal. It's a big part of it. I, you know, I, I work a lot with my players on positive directives. Um, you know, part of our, my ongoing coaching programs and any of my, my, you know, I work with, I do with my players is, you know, they're obligated to pick out and verbalize their target and they're not allowed to say, I do not. It always has to be positive. I want the ball to X or Y and they have to, they have to call it out. Um, and they're, that's, that's where it begins. It's, it's more of a mindset shift for them. Um, and they've found it to be extremely helpful is the fact that a, they're, they're giving, they're re- positively reinforcing what they do want to do. And then after the shot is over, they're finding that it's helping them move on to the next shot and it's helping them, you know, forget what just happened and, and keep going. Um, and that's a lot of right. golf. Um, you know, that's that ability to, you know, try to forget the last shot. And if, if you have a positive directive you're giving yourself for the next shot, it, it, it occupies your mind just enough. Um, but I don't blame people for having anxiety about any shot because uh, I've found that, you know, 85 to 90% of people don't know, even know why they hit a good shot. Right. They don't, they right, hit exactly. shots and then they have, they have no idea how it just happened and or how they can possibly repeat that. So why wouldn't they have anxiety yeah, that, about it? Yeah, exactly. And that's really, um, you know, an area that a lot of people struggle with. You're exactly right, Peter. Great answer. Thank you. Um, John, we, we know that, um, as Peter just pointed out, you know, the idea is really to, to have more positive reinforcement that's certainly going to help uh, them navigate a little bit better around the course. But uh, unfortunately, there are still those out there that when they step up on that first tee and they see a bunch of trouble out there right away, they're they're going through their their trouble rolodex if you will and they're seeing that bunker they're seeing that small uh pond or lake out there or maybe a creek running across um what do you try to suggest when you do uh, when you're doing a playing lesson as an example and you see that there's some trouble out there obviously uh you're probably going to do something similar to what peter just did from a mental standpoint but physically are you going to get them to adjust uh again depending on their level uh, adjust their game a little bit to uh compensate or or what are you going to do how are you going to handle that well, uh, I can I can't agree more with Peter. I try to eliminate the negative connotations and words. Uh, biophysically, that's the way your brain works. It, it works on dr- positive directions, not negative directions. It, it doesn't understand the word not. Uh, so, from that standpoint, it's a matter of taking that mental approach and applying it to a physical process which starts out with a pre-shot. As Peter eloquently said, a lot of people have no clue why they hit good shots or bad shots. I would, I would uh, embellish that by saying they've got no clue what their pre-shot is too. And when you have a process that's consistent, you will retain the product 
more often. The, the product doesn't have to be consistent. You're just going to retain the memory of that product more often. So from a physical standpoint of view, yeah, let's let's set up to the to the target correctly. Let's put ourselves in a in a parallel left for the right hander or parallel right position for the left hander, so you have at least a fighting chance to hit somewhere close to the target. You don't have to necessarily have a perfect swing to to hit a target. You just have to be aimed there. Uh, if you're throwing darts with me, why would you aim right of the bullseye? to try to make a bullseye, it's inefficient. You'd have to throw across yourself. And that's what a lot of golfers do. Uh, From another physical standpoint of view, you're mentioning hazards. You're mentioning hurdles. You're mentioning things that do invoke fear, that do invoke Mm -hmm. some of those negative thoughts. What's your inventory of skills that avoids it? Avoiding isn't the word not. Avoiding is actually a positive plan of direction to to just bypass everything within your skill set, within your strengths. Uh, A lot of times people going for par fives and two and leaving themselves a 60 to 80-yard shot that they've got no clue as to what to hit, that's another example of that. It may not be a hazard, but you've created one. Uh, so physically, right. it's it's good choices. It's putting the right club in your hand. It's it's hitting to the correct targets. You don't have to be perfect with it all, but if you've got a really good mental picture, as Peter described, you put it together with just a very simple, repetitive process of preparing to hit the ball physically, getting set up alignment-wise, being the number one thing, you're going to be a lot more successful simply because you're repeating the process. Yeah, well, well said. Uh, great answers again, guys. Um, John, uh, take a t- take a deep breath, and then uh, I'm coming right back at you here for the next question. Um, what was your most difficult shot uh, in your game, uh, and were you able to? Uh, and I, I, when I use the term master, obviously we don't, we're never going to master everything. But uh, did you overcome uh, that challenge? And if so, how? What was the most difficult shot that you found in your own game? Great question. Uh, When I played a tremendous amount, it was always trying to control the driver. I've been known to have way too much testosterone and way too big of a backswing. And because of that, I always felt like I could keep up with everybody. And as I got older, I tried harder to keep up with everybody and I went to the gym and I changed shafts and you name it and it was just sort of staring me in the face it had more to do with me and what I was capable of so some something I touched on just then uh right you don't you don't have to have a perfect swing nor do I uh I come from a different sport so a lot of the things I have are self-taught uh but I've I've used mentors to help me to to understand not only the game and the science of the game, but me and dig a little deeper in me as to what I'm capable of doing. And over the past five to 10 years, I don't play as often, but I can step on the tee box and feel really confident that I'm going to put the ball in play. And you hear that a lot from people, but this day and age, it's all about, can I hit it 300 yards? I don't care about hitting it 300 yards. I just want to put it in the fairway. The biggest waxing that I ever received on the golf course 
I was 31 years old, and a 74-year-old kicked my butt, and he was 50 yards <laughs> behind me with every drive. He was yeah. just dead down the middle. He shot one under. I was, I mean, every hole, he just waxed me. And it was, it was one of those lessons that I was a little bit, from a golf experience standpoint of view, too immature to understand. But as I look at things now and as I, over the past five to ten years, when I am competitive and choose to be competitive, I stand up on the tee box not necessarily thinking of physicality of putting the ball in play so much as that positive thought of where the ball is going to be. Peter sort of described it. How do I want the ball to fly? Where is it going to fly to? Uh, where am I teeing it up and why am I teeing it up there? Do I really need 300 yards here? Can 260 be enough? Uh, It's just simple things that over time you accumulate these experiences and realize, you know what, 300 yards, that's for these young guys we're watching in Charlotte this week. It may not be for me, but I can still play at that level based on my age, experience, and, and the reality of how often I play. Uh, probably the tee shot, it, it was always my nemesis. But I, if you right. and, if the three of us decided right now, let's go play. Let's go play an emergency nine holes, no warm-up, no nothing. Give me five or six minutes to warm my body up, and that ball is going to be down the middle of the fairway. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what you want. Um, great answer, John. I like that, and I appreciate uh, the honesty. Um Peter, what about you? Uh, we, we all have a, a shot or maybe an area, uh, I should rephrase it, maybe not necessarily a shot, but it might be an area of your game that uh, through your career that maybe you struggled with a little bit yourself. Um, what was it and, and did you, uh, you know, over, what did you do to overcome it? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um, I would say, you know, it's, you know, even as a professional and um especially when I was, you know, younger. And, I mean, I've been playing for so long. It, it really came down to just quality of contact. Um, there was times where I became, you know, just paralyzed to the point where making contact was, was an issue. Um, it sounds strange to hear, but um, if it really went sideways, um, it always went back to that. Uh, and when I was playing well, I was just very, very confident Uh in the quality of contact, my ability can, then that in turn, you know, enables you to control, you know, distance and direction. Well, it control, it adds distance, all those positive things. But for me, you know, if I was to really boil it down to one thing, it would it'd just be that, that one fact. And yeah. whether I was, you know, a junior golfer, uh, uh, you know, and I was never really an amateur player. I was, you know, turned, turned professional very young so I went right into the professional ranks and um you know I would say that's it yeah Um, and that's that's I think something that yeah that's common with with a lot of uh, a lot of the players out there um great answer as well Peter and and, uh, again I appreciate the the honesty you know folks for those of you listening to the show out there I just you know this is really two great examples of uh, you know for you to to learn from um that even uh the best of us out there struggle with our games so if you're struggling with your game um you know don't give up uh we all have things to work on we've all have things to overcome and hurdles and and so forth and you know here's two guys that have been in the business a long time and have 
you know, honed their craft to to uh, the level that they have, and yet they've had moments uh, throughout their careers. And, and John, just on a side note, uh, I got my uh, my uh, game shellacked one day by I think it was probably the same guy because he was about 74 back then too. And uh, uh, the the thing was that he uh, he, he one putted I think about 14 out of the 18 greens and just blew me away. But same thing, straight down the center and just. Uh, hit it pretty close on, on all the shots and just had a phenomenal putting game. But uh, uh, I think it might have been the same guy. So um, if, it, if it was Swanee, Georgia, I think right, let's let's trade stories off air. <laughs> it may it may be I don't remember actually I don't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, off the top I should because uh, I think I cried for two hours after. Um, but anyways, um, let me go on to. Um, a, a little bit different area here, and, and this is something that really there's three components to it. Um, Peter, I'm gonna again, I'm gonna jump back on you here uh, for this one here. Uh, this one's uh, I call it playing to the green, and there's three components. Um, and I want you to maybe give a scenario for for each of these, and and we obviously have to be mindful of the time. Um, and then, John, I think what we're going to do is rather than – because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of overlapping. So, John, uh, after Peter goes off to the first one, I want you to jump in. Um, but playing to the green, and I'm talking about your approach shot to the green, when is it the right time, do you think, to go for the pin? Uh, when is it the right time to play it safe and go for the, the center of the green? And when is it a bailout? And if so, when? Um, Peter, I'm going to let you start that one off. Uh Firing at the pin, when's it the right, when do you think it's the right time to, to go ahead and fire at the pin? When you're confident. When, you, when, you have wow. a, when you're at a place that you just feel like you're confident, you go for the flag. If you, feel, if you want to play in the middle, you're, that's when you're uncertain. And then when you need to bail out, you're, you're unconfident. Very good. Very good. I like that. Um, John, what about you? I know I'm sure you probably feel the same, but uh, you want to expand on that a little bit? or The expansion I'd give is, again, based on skill inventory is what I call it. What is what is your skills relative to the shot you have at hand? And what are those confident skills you can rely on in that particular moment? Because every moment weighs differently, whether it's a – 70 yard shot on a par five it's the 17th hole and you need to make birdie but it could be the second hole with that 70 yard shot there's a difference there could be a difference based on not only the the portion of the round you're in but the round related to a tournament is it second third fourth round there's a lot of variables there so i'm 100 percent on peter's uh, page there and, and the simplicity of that one word confidence but to to have confidence you've got to know your skill inventory and be able to understand that hey I've got a pin tucked left I like to hit draws but every once in a while that draw gets away from me uh, do I go for the pin tucked left well if you've got a lot of confidence it's late in the round you need to birdie the answer is yes uh, you, no one remembers the second place person. Jack Nicholas doesn't remember any of his second place major places. He remembers his 18 right. wins, and that's because he goes for the pin with those. But if you set that up earlier in the day on the second or third hole, 
No, he's not going for the pin for birdie. He's putting it in the middle of the green so he can live to see that 17th hole to really jump on it. And what I see is a lot of amateurs not putting it in proportion that way. Peter, do you think uh, – uh, great answer, by the way, Jim. Yeah, go ahead, John. Sorry, Peter, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with what John's saying as well, but, you know, when you completely agree. But when you really boil it down to it's, you know, when you're talking about, you're you're talking about decision-making right now, and that's a lot of, that's a lot of playing golf. And if you, what I have my players do is base it off confidence and then resource what, what John's talking about is that, that shot inventory and, there's, I mean, the majority of people that, you know, I, I work with, you know, are your everyday player that are, you know, having that anxiety that you talked about making it over the brook in front of the green or the, you know, the lake that's on the left side of, or the right side or wherever it might be. And, you know, I, they have to make a club decision and all of those choices, you know, I just, I encourage them because they, they want a black and white answer. And unfortunately for them to have their own self-reliant game while we're working together, I cannot give that to them. They need to discover that on their own. So I, what I encourage them to do is whether it's shot making, like you're talking about club selection, type of shot, target, whatever it might be, I'm having it, having them start with their own level of confidence and their own, their own confidence in a shot that they can pull off and then having them make decisions on based off their own confidence level. Let me, uh, I'll tell a quick, I'll tell a quick story to that Peter there. I don't think I've ever told it on, on this show. Uh, 15, 16 years ago, I'm at the IJGA in Hilton head and I've got a young man. I'm going to protect the innocents here who at the, at the age of 13, 14, he was just wide open, aggressive. You could have put a pin off the green and he's going to shoot for it. That's how aggressive he was. And no matter what we as a group of coaches told him and me as his personal coach told him, we just couldn't get him to think otherwise. His uh, fearlessness always got the best of him. He was a great ball striker, had a good, good short game, but he just couldn't put it together. I decided one day to go out to the green with a tape measure and brought him out there. And, and, and I basically said, let's measure the width and let's measure the depth of every green and mark the middle. And we did that with a couple of them. And I had a Coke can and, and I put a uh, architectural survey flag right in the middle of the green, put that there. And I'd say, Hey, go over to that corner. And I want you to let's measure where if that Coke can was the pin, let's measure that pin placement to the middle of the green. And we did that as an exercise. It got real bored as a 13-year-old, but it really banged, sure. banged home the point. When, and Peter was saying, you know, sometimes people don't have black and white. This was the only black and white incident that I could think of to really drill at home that, hey, if you shoot for the middle of the green, and by the way, most people are playing greens that are about 30 to 35 yards deep, and about the same yep. width. So if you hit it to the middle and you get normal pin placements, not tough day pin placements, not PGA championship pin placements, but you get normal pin placements, what are you leaving yourself? 30, 35, yep. maybe a 40-foot putt, maybe. And it was that 
eye-opening black and white. The, the kid finally took it to heart. Three weeks later, he plays his career tournament to that point. He shoots three rounds in the 60s, and all he did was shoot to the middle of the green. So it, it yep. goes in both directions. What are you confident with, and what's the what's that skill inventory that you have, and, and when do you really need to step on the gas pedal? But at the same time, realizing that putting the ball in the middle – not such a bad miss. Yeah, and and you know, and that that's a great story. Thank you, John. Um, you know, the other point too is I, I think as as you know, Peter pointed out is obviously having uh, the confidence in your game and and understanding your abilities. And I think also too is the circumstances. I mean, um, you know, if you've got some aggressively placed pin uh, placements, um, even if you are feeling confident that day, it may not always be the smart play. Sometimes hitting for the center of the green is still going to give you a good opportunity uh, to make a par and, and obviously uh, maybe even a chance at birdie. And I think a lot of the amateurs, and I'm sure you both have seen this, um, I think most of the times, even if they've got a pretty good game, are far too aggressive uh, when, when it comes to approaching the green. And that's why I wanted to put that out there. I wanted to to kind of give them an example. And sometimes this, the smart play is to bail out a little bit, especially if you've got a lot of undulations in the green. Uh, and if the greens are fairly quick, uh, sometimes even hitting the green will end up with the ball in the back bunker or uh, even a front bunker if you're not long enough. So sometimes uh, the smart play, depending on what's uh, surrounding the green, uh, is uh, is even a bailout. So um, that's something for, for people to think about as well when they're, uh, when they're out there playing. And, John, that's a great... Uh, great example that you gave as well. Um, you know, nothing wrong with shooting for the center of the green because it, it uh, really, in my opinion, gives you the best uh, overall option for for most of your uh, for most of your round. Um, let me ask you, uh, Peter. I'm going to jump to you now, um, and I want to ask this question here. In your opinion, what does it take to get good at golf? context you have to understand how you're going to operate when the entire environment I mean you have to start with really good quality just quality of contact it's the foundation and you you know work working towards you know understanding what you know what one thing you can execute for as a foundation for your entire game and then building on top of that foundation for each shot, if you have one one key, one to execute each each shot, there's a lot of genius in the simplicity there, and you can be more more really consumed with moving athletically and enjoying yourself. I mean, it, it can become very very grueling uh, game to to learn, to become proficient, and then to become then to excel. Um, if if there's not an understanding as to you know why the good shots are happening or or why the bad shots are happening and what you can potentially do to you know reinforce why it's good or or try to get it back on track why it, when it when it goes a little wrong. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. Um, John, what about you? What's uh, what's your thoughts on what you feel? Is, does it take to get good at golf? I had that question posed to me today by a 14-year-old and his father. 
And the answer I gave was very similar to Peter. Uh, I said, let's, where, what is your definition of good and where does that take you as your, everybody has potential. It doesn't matter the age, 14, 44, 94, it doesn't matter. But what is it that you're trying to obtain and to get good is based on that ultimate end is, is the way I'd say it. If you're thinking of a pyramid and your goal at the top of the pyramid is to not only reach the pyramid, but to achieve this, that four cornerstones of the pyramid and every building block at every level to get to the top is what it takes from a, from an inventory, from a uh, tangible from a uh, commodity standpoint of view, whether it's uh, the physical part of it, the mental part of it, the diet part of it, the the time, uh, it does take time. To, to be good at anything, it takes time. There's no shortcut to that. And that's why it does look like a pyramid, your success that is. And there's tons of coaches that have used that uh, particular shape. Uh, John Wooden uh, is the first one to come to mind that, hey, there's got to be a base to that success to get to become good. But the way Peter would said it, I say it just a little bit differently, but it means the same thing. Let's put it in context as to where you want to be and what you want to be and when you want to be there. It's about time. What's your timeline? Why is it that you want to be there? Uh, what is it going to take to get there? What are those building blocks in your pyramid that are missing? that we can, as a coach, help you fill in, support you to build the mortar, to put the blocks together. Uh, that's what your support system's for. You're the blocks. We're just the mortar that puts it all to, helps you put it all together. And when you know that and understand it, I'm not going to say it's easier to become very good, but it's a whole lot easier to see the direction to get there. Yeah, I, I uh, well said, both of you. I, I think you know, really, um, what a lot of people don't understand, um, you know, when they're coming to to uh, to our, uh, uh, you know, for, to us for lessons, is I, I think that they're they're not always realistic. I don't think they understand that we're not here to to give them a golf game. We're here to um, provide them the tools necessary in, in, uh, by way of instruction, uh, give them the, the foundation, if you will, um, and also help them strategize a game plan or a, a way of attacking the golf course, if you will. Um, but it's really up to their own individuality and their own uh, ingenuity, uh, if you will, whether or not and how successful they've become. Um, you know, to give you an example, you know, there are a lot of great players out in the PGA and LPGA uh, uh, tours, but not everybody's winning every week. Um, but there are certain key players on, on all of the tours that have sort of stood out over the, over the years. And what really makes them different is not that they're a better ball striker or not that they're uh, hitting it longer than everybody else or, or even putting better than everybody else. It's a combination but it's a way that they've they've put the, their their talents and their skills that they've learned along the journey um, together and how they navigate around the course. Nicholas is a great example, uh, John, that you mentioned earlier. 
Um, Jack Nicklaus, by any stretch of the imagination, was not the best ball striker on, on tour. Um, certainly could hit the ball a long way, but I'm sure if you looked at the stats, he wasn't the longest. Um, he was a phenomenal putter, of course, but a short game otherwise, uh, chipping and pitching, wasn't, uh, you know, I would say even maybe in the top 10. But he had a skill by way of mentally preparing himself uh, for every round of golf that he played, but also he knew how to navigate uh, and take risks and chances uh, when opportunities present itself, and he also knew when to play it safe. And that's something that you can't really teach anybody. Uh, that's something, Peter, as you pointed out, that they have to learn through their experiences uh, as, they, as they journey through uh, their golfing career, whether they play as an amateur or whether they're playing as a professional. Um, guys, great answers. Um, I, I've got one more question for you, and this is one for um, those out there that maybe uh, feel that they want to uh, help others out there with their golf game. Maybe they've got some golf skills of themselves. Um, and, John, I'm going to start with you, and then, and then Peter, if you want to uh, also add in here. Um, maybe we've got some folks out there that would like to get into the profession. Maybe they're interested in becoming uh, a golf professional, whether it's a teacher or a coach or a combination. Um, what advice would you give them? Uh, where, would they, where should they start? And what are some things that they should consider, um, really consider, before they get into this prof- profession? Uh, John? Another great question, because I had another conversation with our section staff about our upcoming summit, and we're, we're looking at taking a little bit of twist from that question and applying it to this year's summit from uh, not only what does it take, but uh, wh- why does it take that? So mm-hmm. wh- what I tell people, there's two different sides of the business. There's the playing side, and there's the business side. And Peter and I are right now on the business side. If you're wanting to play, you got to be fully committed to play. It's an eight-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job to be successful, to have the ability or the potential to be on TV this week at a major championship. And it's you've got to be willing to make sacrifices beyond what you believe you can make. Uh, there's not a player out there, male or female, that hasn't made some sacrifices that they never planned to make uh, to get where they are. And that's that's truly what it takes at that level. And it's an ongoing commitment. Uh, having walked with Zach Johnson earlier this year at Bay Hill, the guy just grinds it out day in, day out, because he knows mm-hmm. that's what it's going to take from – the business side, I think you can't fool yourself. A lot of people get into the business side sort of fooling themselves. Oh, I'm going to get to play a lot of golf, and I'm going to get to do this. They get <laughs> onto the romantic. They get in the romantic side of things. They they fall in lust, right. as I say, with the business, and that's fine because that lust has to fuel and inspire your career passion. I've been at this now almost 30 years. And I was asked that question today by the 14-year-old and his father, what, what, what drives your passion? And I think you have to have from within on the business side the fiber to serve, the fiber to be unselfish, and the fiber to be patient regardless of what you decide to specialize in on the business side because there is a lot of specialization. There's a lot of people going in to web development and to marketing 
in the club fitting and club right. design, in the golf course architecture. I mean, there's so much you can do from a professional side now that's not only recognized, but is fostered by a lot of great education that it literally takes those three characteristics for you to succeed. Uh, the biggest thing that was passed on to me by my mentors was why in such a hurry? And mm-hmm. it, again, it goes back to that story about driving and not being able to hit the driver. I was probably in a hurry to hit a lot of good drives. Uh, as you get yeah. more into this business, you realize you don't have to be in a hurry. Take a task at a time, understand it, take ownership of it, make it your own. And from a teaching side, the other thing that I've really, I've heard that I live by is what Peter and I and you do, It's someone else has been doing it for at least 120 years, 150 years minimal, when you're talking about uh, the Vardens of the world and, and the Henry Cottons of the world. We're just doing it in a different yep. context with a little bit different language. Take ownership of it, make it your own, and that's that's what distinguishes you from somebody else, and is what's going to make you successful. Great answer, John. Thank you, um, Peter. John obviously gave a lot of meat in his answer, so I know that uh, um, there's a lot of things that give you, me can, some you can draw from there as. Yeah, give me some potatoes, exactly. Uh, but Peter, you know, let, let's maybe just tweak it just a little bit. Um, you know, obviously you've got somebody that's maybe come to you uh, maybe in the last little while and said, Peter, you know what, um, I've been watching, I like what you do, and that's kind of interesting to me. I'm, you know, I've got a pretty good game, and I know a lot about golf, and I think I'd like to jump in the business as well. What What advice would you give them? Well, I, I always ask why uh, first. And I've had, especially, um, I had a young man come to me over the winter and, you know, he's kind of, he's a pretty good player and actually a very good player. And, you know, we had that conversation, you know, asked why. And, you know, what I, what, what I think people should want to do if they're going to get into this line of work in a very fundamental sense is enjoy helping people and enjoy people. Yes. Because you're constantly interacting with people um, if you are a person that doesn't um, like to outwardly interact with people on a, a minute-by-minute basis and really do enjoy getting to know them and helping them, then this isn't right for you. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. I think there's some really great people in the golf industry that uh, do a really great job uh, with the, um, do a great job with their job that they have, but they really don't like people or and I'm not going to say they don't like helping people, but they, they're just introverted. They have a personality that's, you know, not, not very, especially outgoing. You know, a lot of them, I give a lot of them a lot of credit for the fact that they're working on it. Um, they're looking to, you know, you know, change how they're approaching, you know, people. But, you know, if you really want to be successful at this, you, you have to really love it and you have to love uh, people, helping people. Um, and that's if that's the foundation, then the rest of it's going to be easy. You're going to be willing to learn, uh, which is you're the one major essential part of being uh, a, a good or great golf instructor or coach. You have to be willing to constantly learn. Um, you know, I, I yep. know I spend over 100 hours at least a year um, 
learning and just consuming content and making sure that I I know or I have consumed that content and have you know I'm able to answer questions for my players or anybody that might approach me at the club um, so that I can you know understand them better and then understand how I can help them so um, really that's the foundation of it I mean I had you know your not an easy way to get into the golf industry, but I'm, you know, I'm a graduate of Methodist University. I had the the, the benefit mm-hmm. of going through the PGM program there. Um, you know, the education that I got on t- the business education, um, the, you know, the internships, the work experience, the relationships, the everything that you can gain from uh, that type of situation. I've been very fortunate to have. Um, that is just one of the ways that you can get into the golf industry and. Um, I just think that if people enjoy uh, helping people, uh, want to, are willing to learn for forever and really wanting to, yep. you know, dedicate themselves to, uh, putting in a lot of work, um, cause no matter how much work your players put in, you're going to put in four times more. Um, yeah. And <laughs> just, that's just how it goes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's so true. Um, you know, let me just add a couple things uh, to that. Another great answer. Thank you, Peter. Um, you know, I think the other thing, too, that you, you have to be in this business is you have to be a very good listener. Um, and, mm-hmm. and really, you're in a lot of ways, um, you know, being in the golf business is, is, you know, mimic certain things, obviously, in sales. Um, you're, you're essentially selling yourself uh, and your experiences. Um, is essentially what you're doing, um, but you have to be uh, a good listener, and you have to listen to what your students are saying to you, what it is they want. I think one of the biggest mistakes, um, and, and John, Peter, you, you both kind of touched on this a little bit, is you know, is is why? Why do you want to get into this business? And there is a lot of glamour, and there is a lot of romance to it in the sense that um, John, as you touched on there earlier. Uh, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to get in there, and yeah, I get to play golf all the time. Well, let me tell you, Charlie, it, <laughs> that ain't the case. It might be that way when you first start out a little bit, but as time goes on and you build up your, your clients and you build up your, your teaching base, um, you know, rounds of golf are few and far between um, for, for most of us out there. I can't speak for everybody, but I know a lot of, uh, of the folks that I've talked to in this industry uh, they would love to be able to play more golf, but they just don't have the time. And John, as you touched on as well, uh, there's lots of areas of the business. Um, you can still get in this business. You don't necessarily have to be a teaching professional. Um, there's marketing opportunities, uh, web design, all kinds of things. Um, and also, Peter, as you talked about, you know, maybe you've got the skills to be a good player. May not necessarily be on the PGA or LPGA tour. Um, there's a lot of other opera playing opportunities out there as well. Um, there might be coaching opportunities uh, that might be of interest to you. So if you, you are somebody that's interested uh, in in the golf business and you want to get in there, do a little homework, do a little research, um, and, and get out there and contact some of the organizations out there, um, you know, the PGA of America and, and, and many other organizations, the LPGA, so forth, uh, and just, you know, um, do your due diligence, if you will, and talk to some people that are in the industry and get some honest answers with, uh, from them and, and say to them, you know, I'm interested in this. What do you think? What do I need to, to you know, get, get the ball rolling here? And make sure that you're being honest with yourself first and foremost because a lot of people 
I, I know, jump into a, a career thinking this is exciting and it's glamorous, and then only to find out it's a lot more hard work than they realize and thought, well, it's kind of like, you know, being a restaurant owner, you like food, but you may not like preparing the food. Um, so you have to, you know, you have to factor all that in. But uh, guys, great answers as always. Uh, we're, we're wrapping the, the segment up here, but I want to give each of you an opportunity. And Peter, I'm going to let you go first, and then John, I'll let you uh, round it out. Um, how can the folks reach out to you if they want to uh, get in touch with you or uh, learn more about uh, your golfing uh, skills and expertise? Peter, how can they get a, get a hold of you? Yeah, they can reach me at uh, Taconic Golf Club uh, Golf Shop. It's uh, 413-458-3997. Or they can find me um, at uh, gogolfcoach.com. Um, there's all the information for my programs there. And also on social, I'm very active on social. Um, on Instagram, I'm at dailygolf.coach. And I'm also... Uh, on Facebook under uh, Peter Agazarian, uh, E-G-A-Z-A-R-I-A-N, TPI Performance Coach. Perfect. I have... uh, Uh, And John... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yep, sorry, go ahead, Peter. No, that's okay. I'm just going to just plug a quick program that I have for those out of the area. Uh, We do have a top 100 golf club here, and uh, I do have a daily program. Um, with instruction and an 18-hole playing lesson, uh, and I'll buy you lunch too. So just a quick plug. Gee, I might I might have to come up that way. Um, that sounds like a good deal. Um, John, go ahead. Peter, what what's for dessert? Um, <laughs> as long as there's chocolate involved, you'd have, it, you, you, we're all set. We're good. Count me in, count <laughs> me in with a little bit of peanut butter, and I'm there. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Peter. Th- yeah, that thanks. Good. It's it's always it's always fun to be with you and Ted and and Ted. I appreciate the opportunity. Missed you over the past couple months, but I'm I'm the mm-hmm. questions you've obviously been thinking of for a couple months. So I've got to do my due diligence for next month. Uh, you can reach me at John <laughs> at JohnHughesGolf.com. Uh, JohnHughesGolf.com is my website. That's pretty much the clearinghouse for what I'm doing. Uh, Fall is a great time for Central Florida. I'm at Falcons Fire Golf Club right in the heart of the main attractions of the greater Orlando area. Very convenient to shopping, dining, the airport. Uh, come see me. And one thing that I've been working on a lot and over the past couple years is Parkinson's golf. My father has Parkinson's and lives up in the North Carolina area. And I've sort of made that my philanthropic endeavor the past couple years be on the lookout uh, for some more information about how you can play golf with Parkinson's or vice versa, as well as some uh, opportunities to play here in central Florida for a good cause. And and if everybody can just put a thumbs up and share what Peter and I do on social media, that's a really big thing for us all. If you like it, that's great. It means a lot more to us when you share it, when you share it, other people get that information and we grow the game. Yeah, fantastic, guys. Well, as always, um, I appreciate your input into the show, and uh, I try to do my part by having this show and giving uh, all of you guys an opportunity, and that's really um, what the show is about. It's not about me or um, because I like to hear myself talk. Um, I can do that anytime, but uh, uh, it's it's really about 
you know, growing the game and, and giving you guys an opportunity to, to share your thoughts and, and input and give the audience an opportunity to connect as well for those that, that want to. So, uh, as always, guys, welcome back. Thanks for doing such a fantastic uh, job tonight on Coach's Corner. And uh, I, I look forward to you guys joining me back here uh, again uh, real soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the, uh, the tournament this weekend. Thanks. Thanks, Dad, you as well. Thanks, John. Thank you, Pete. All right, that was uh, my very special uh, panelists tonight on the Coach's Corner, John Hughes and Peter Egazarian. Uh, great couple of guys. Uh, enjoy uh, having them on. And uh, as I mentioned very early in, in the beginning of the show, um, the last couple times that actually both of them were scheduled, unfortunately, uh, due to a, a, a number of reasons, I had to cancel those particular particular episodes so they hadn't been on coach's corner uh, as john had mentioned uh, probably a couple of months so uh, it was good to have them back always appreciate the their uh, thoughts and input into the program and and as i say so many times in the closing of the show it really helps to make uh, golf talk live a first class show uh got a great uh, group of guests coming up here uh here in just a moment they're going to be joining me here uh peggy rhodes white uh the founder and ceo of ted rhodes foundation and uh, of course the daughter of the late ted rhodes uh, one of golf's uh, early african-american golfers uh, really a pioneer uh that got things started for uh, many of the great players that followed uh including uh of course tiger woods uh who he has uh notably acknowledged uh many of the uh the hurdles, if you will, that, that Teddy Rhodes had, uh, had paved the way for, uh, great players like him and, and many others before Tiger. Um, Tiffany White, of course, uh, Peggy's daughter, and she's also a board member uh, for the uh, Ted Rhodes Foundation. And then we've got a couple of uh, young and, and up-and-coming uh, rising stars, as, as, uh, as it was put. Uh, Christian Heavens, uh, he's a professional golfer from the uh, St. Louis uh, metro area. And then also Patrick Harris, uh, is going to be joining us. He's a Class A PGA member as well. So the four of them are going to be joining me here uh, in just a few moments. But uh, while I wait for them to come on board, let me just remind everybody um, that we are live, of course, Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on Golf Talk Live's uh, blogtalkradio.com network. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, and uh, you can uh, see me, or rather hear me, uh, on that network uh, live on Thursdays from 6 to 8 Central. And... Uh, uh, for those of you that maybe can't tune in during the live broadcast, uh, just go to that, that uh, network, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, uh, plug in the link, and just scroll down to the on-demand section, and uh, you will see all of the previously aired uh, and recorded shows, uh, including tonight's. Tonight's, uh, of course, will be a few moments after it's uh, finished airing, uh, and, and all the uh, audio compiles, it will be available uh, as well. But to all of the previously aired shows, so if you've missed a show, uh, not to worry, uh, just go to the on-demand section at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and you can listen to uh, uh, those shows in there entirely. Uh, entirety, excuse me. Also on Tuesday uh, mornings um, on blogtalkradio.com network, uh, the other show that I uh, co-host with LPJ professional Cindy Miller, uh, that airs from 9 to 10 uh, Eastern Standard Time on the blogtalkradio.com network and uh, the only difference is just uh, on the forward slash, just type in women of golf or just up in the search key, just type in women of golf and that will take you there. And again, the uh, on-demand section is there or you can listen to us live Tuesday mornings uh, where we interview some great uh, LPGA uh, professionals uh, as well as uh, those off the Symmetra Tour and many great uh, uh, professionals uh, all through women's uh, golf uh, entrepreneurs and authors as well. Uh, but anyways, we've got a great show for you uh, coming up this Tuesday. 
Um, so I want you to tune into that as well. And then, of course, next Thursday, we'll be back with another uh, great episode of Golf Talk Live. All right. Uh, let me, I believe Peggy is uh, ready to go here. So let me just bring her on and we'll talk for a few moments. And then we'll uh, have the others join us uh, here in a few minutes. Good evening and welcome, Peggy. Oh, this may not be Peggy. Hi, good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I guess for some reason that uh, was just a a hanger on, I guess. Um, I'll wait for them to call back in. I thought it might have been one of the callers uh, coming in tonight, but uh, we'll just wait. Uh, As I mentioned, my special guests this evening are Peggy Rhodes-White, Tiffany White, her daughter, and then uh, Patrick Harris uh, and Christian Evans. Um, I see that they're all starting to call in. So let me just wait a moment or two and then I'll bring uh, everybody in. Uh, And also don't forget to follow me on social media. Uh, You can go to my uh, personal page, which is Ted Odorico. And my last name is spelled O-D-O-R-I-C-O on Facebook, LinkedIn. And uh, my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. That's CEO in capital letters. Um, and uh, you can follow me there, and that'll get you updated on all of the shows. All right, let me bring on my very special guests uh, this evening, and uh, we'll get the conversation going. Good evening, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Good evening. Hi, good evening. Is this Tiff? This is Peggy. All right, who's on board already? All right, Peggy. Peggy. And Tiffany's here as well. Oh, and this is Christian. Oh, and Christian. Okay, so we're just so we're just wait. Yeah, so uh, we're just waiting for Patrick as well. Yes. Okay. All right, um, Peggy. Why don't we start off? I've already done the intro for all four of you, um, and I'll keep an eye out for when Patrick calls in, and I'll bring him into the conversation as well. But um, just for for those that may be tuning in uh, for the first time. Maybe you can just share a little bit, uh, first off, about who uh, your father was and, and uh, some of the uh, accomplishments that he made uh, in his golfing career, and then sort of how the foundation came up, uh, how it uh, formed after that, and then, um, and then we'll get into some questions. Great. Okay. Well, let's see. Where do I start? First of all, for <laughs> those of you who may or may not know, my father's name was Ted Rhodes, He was born in Nashville, Tennessee, actually in November of 1913, a long time ago. Some of uh, his accomplishments, well, he started playing golf at 12 years old, believe it or not, and he worked as a caddy is really how he got excited and wanted to play this game. And he, you know, played around, played around, played around, because obviously back in the day he was not able to play golf. He just worked as a caddy. And the interesting thing about my dad, he was so excited and really wanted to play this game, he made his first set of golf clubs, believe it or not, guys, with the clothes hanger. And he practiced, practiced, practiced. And some of the guys at the country club Mm -hmm. noticed how good he was, and they gave him some of their old clubs. And so the story goes on. He was 12 years old at the time. And he, you know, played around, played around, played around. Then as an adult, I'm just kind of fast-forwarding, he started to mm-hmm. uh, he started to really enjoy the game and wanted to do it on a professional level. As a matter of fact, he never even worked a day in his life, never worked a job. Can you believe it? Back in those days, all he wanted to mm-hmm. do was play golf. And he had some exciting accomplishments, and I'm you know really excited about it and sh- to share it with 
all of your listening audience because a lot of people don't know. You hear so much about some of the other legends, but my father is one that you right. don't know a lot about. Well, during the time that he played in the 1940s, he actually was the first professional to play. 1948, really, is the date, a year, I should say, at the Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles. And at that time, he was recognized as the first African-American professional golfer. He also, along with Bill Spiller, was responsible for uh, the litigation against the PGA of America to remove the Caucasian-only clause, which they did after a court battle. He was in and out of court, never gave up because he felt like this was something he wanted to do. But what happened is they changed the tournament to Invitational. So he still wasn't Mm -hmm. able to play in the PGA, but he went on and on and on. And so many of his peers, the African-American golfers, decided to uh, create their own association, and it was called the United Golf Association. And during that time or during his career, he won over 150 tournaments. Wow. Well, that... You know, Peggy, really, your your father was um, nothing short of a pioneer, uh, really, for the African-American community. You know, I, I mentioned in the opening uh, monologue uh, before the group of you came on, and, you know, of course, we're familiar with uh, Tiger Woods, uh, more recent, but, uh, you know, of course, Charles Sifford and uh, many others that, that came before, uh, of course, Tiger. But you're right, a lot of people don't realize the many hurdles that your father and doors that your father opened up for the African-American community in, in golf. Um, Tiffany, let me ask you, as, as obviously uh, Peggy's daughter and, and obviously um, uh, what is sort of your um, memories of, of Teddy Rhodes and what were some of the things that impressed you most about him? Great question, Ted. So what's really interesting about this story is that I actually did not have the opportunity to meet my grandfather. He passed away before I was born. So I am really living this story through my mom and through all of the individuals that have come in contact with my grandfather. And I would say one of the things that I learned is he was definitely very passionate about the game of golf, and he was definitely a trailblazer. So although he had all of these obstacles that were put in front of him, that didn't stop him from wanting to play the game of golf and wanting to be successful in the game of golf. So it really showed his fortitude, which has really been a great lesson for me, Ted. And even for, you know, the younger, as we call the the Gen X or Gen Y population, that if you really believe right. in something, then you should fight for that. Right, exactly. Um, and there's a lot of young kids now um, – that are obviously, and we've got, a, I shouldn't say young kids, but compared to me, they are. But we've got a couple with us here tonight. We've got uh, Christian Heavens and also uh, Patrick Harris. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Hello? Um, guys, let me just ask you this. Yeah, welcome to the show. Um, let me just ask, uh, and Christian, I'm going to start with you and then, and then Patrick. Um, uh, Patrick, of course, uh, just joined us here just a moment ago. But Christian, let me ask you. Uh, you're obviously a professional golfer, and, and uh, you're, you're playing on one of the tours. Now, tell us a little bit about your uh, background, how you got interested in the game, and then, uh, Patrick, I'm going to give you the same opportunity as well. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 
Yeah, so I'm from the St. Louis area, um, more so raised in East St. Louis, Illinois, right across the river from downtown St. Louis. And um, I got into the game of golf at an early age. Uh, I was influ- I like to say I was influenced by golf, but I wasn't by Tiger Woods. Um, but I wasn't really introduced to the game by Tiger Woods. So you know, I was raised by my grandfather on the golf course for the most part. Um, and he was kind of one of the guys that kind of got into the game through the same way that Ted Rose did, through caddying. And he mm-hmm. built his first set of golf clubs, not from a coat hanger, but from, like, a tree stick and uh, scraped it around caddying it with with his guys. So that's kind of the generation that brought me into the game. Uh, same same group of guys, just like uh, Ted Rose and his, and his, you know, his peers. And from there, you know, right. I, I always had a passion for the game. I worked really hard. Um Played in a U.S. Amateur. I uh, did first tee things. Uh, came through the first tee program, which gave me opportunity to play at Pebble Beach with the Champions Tour pros. Um, oh wow! I ended up going to yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, I ended up going to getting a scholarship through the first tee program to Georgetown College, Georgetown, Kentucky, and that was an NAI NAIA school, which was good for me because I you know I had a really good education. Uh, started started out really competing. Um, right from my first year in college and ended up getting All-American honors, uh, playing in the National Minority Collegiate Championship, finishing top three my last three years there in that in that tournament. And then soon after graduating in 2011, I turned professional in what's called the Advocates Pro Tour, which is pretty much the same mm-hmm. thing as the UGA back in the day that uh, Ted Rose and all the guys used to play um, back in the day. Um, so, you know, I, I'm pretty much taking the same steps as they were, um, throughout the pro ranks. So I turned professional playing in that. And from that point, you know, I played on the Florida professional golf tour. I have status on the PGA right. tour, Canada, McKenzie tour now, um, just playing all over. And, you know, most people recognize me from watching a uh, golf channel's big break. I competed on big break Myrtle beach on the golf channel, which was, a really, really cool experience to be able to, you know, sh- share my story and my talents uh, in front of millions of people uh, a few years ago. And, you know, right now we're at the point where you just got to keep it going, um, just getting better every day and excited about the opportunities that I have. Well, one of the things, Ted, well, I wanted to say, just to echo what uh, Christian has said, many of our young yep. African-American professional golfers, the same as my dad, they have to create opportunities because for those who right. aren't able to make it to the PGA Tour, that's why the Advocates Professional Tour is so important. It's, you know, like the uh, UGA back in the day, so Christian was right. Uh, and I'm really excited that uh, to bring these young people on to share their story with those who might be listening this evening. Perfect. Um, and and I'll, I'll, in a few moments, Peggy, I'm just going to let Patrick have a few moments here as well. Um, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity just to sort of express how uh, both of these young gentlemen uh, have, have uh, sort of fallen in, in, uh, in line with you here. Uh, Patrick, go ahead. How, how did you sort of get your start in golf, and, and, uh, and what is it that you're doing now? Are you playing or, or teaching, or what are you doing? Okay, uh, sounds good. Um, but, yeah, once again, thank you for having me on the show. But uh, how I got started into the game, uh, sort of as Christian got started, uh, I uh, I started with my granddad. Uh, he uh, he put a golf club in my hands at the age of four, and uh, and from there it was just it was just fun. And the 
only thing I could do, uh, only thing I could do, and the only thing he told me to do was just hit it hard. And after that, it just became just a fun game. And then I saw Tiger Woods uh, doing it day in and day out, and um, and just making a certain connection with the golf ball. And that's and that's where it really uh, that's where it really started for me in the in the backyard with my granddad. And uh, as I as I got older, I became a caddy as well. And because I grew up in Alabama, I, mm-hmm. I became a caddy as well. Uh, and I mm-hmm. and I done that for about four years, and uh, then. Uh, I was playing National Junior Golf, uh, same as Christian, and that that landed me a scholarship at Chicago State University. I did that for about a year, and after that, I transferred to uh, to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, uh, an HBCU uh, on the on the East Coast, and uh, and that's where I started my PGA Golf Management Program. Now, the PGA Golf Management Program, it uh, it was it was a good experience um, because there were some highs, there were some lows. Even though I went to an HBCU to where, you know, we're all, we basically all look alike, it was still a tough challenge right. because uh, there was a lot, there was a, there was a, uh, a big, a big uh, atmosphere of saying, okay, well, we still know uh, that we're better than you because we know certain things that you don't. So I had to take it on right. myself, uh, had to take it on myself to actually start reading books, read about the PGA, reading how society works. Uh, because uh, if I don't, they will always take advantage of me. Even even if I was a good, even even if I was a good good player, uh, I still had to um, I still had to put forth the effort of knowing the knowledge of of my industry, but then knowing the knowledge of having mm-hmm. just to do business with with other uh, with other people. Uh, and after uh, after four and a half years, I graduated from the PJ Golf Management Program. Uh, and actually, I just graduated this this past this past December. And I and I became a PJ professional in January. Uh, yes, became a PJ professional in January of of this year. And yes, yeah, so now I am. So now I am teaching, uh, teaching uh, basically part time, and I am an assistant golf professional at Turkey Creek Golf Club. And I've been doing that for about a year now. Perfect. Well, congratulations, uh, Patrick, uh, on becoming a member of the PGA, uh, and Christian as well for all of your hard work. Um, I'm going to just go back to Peggy for just a second, guys, and then I'm going to come back. And, and let me just a quick note, a side note. Um, Patrick, where in Alabama are you from? Birmingham. Bur- oh, re- one of my favorite places in uh, in all of uh, Alabama is Birmingham, a beautiful city. Um, uh-huh. Peggy, uh, just sort of share for the for the listeners how these two uh, young gentlemen, uh, how you've sort of connected with them and, and what uh, the Ted Rhodes Foundation is, uh, has been doing to, uh, to help them. Well, it's really interesting because for me, Ted, it was a spiritual journey. The foundation, as you know, we're a nonprofit 501c3, and our mission is to mm-hmm. preserve and honor the legacy of my dad. And the vision is mm-hmm. to allow everyone the chance to play by advancing future generations of minority golfers. And it's interesting, these guys, both of them, I was looking for some people who really had an interest in golf and who I felt exemplified what my father had to go through or even, you know, his vision. And I was looking on Facebook, and the thing that really stood out for me with these is that they both had something on their Facebook page I think it was during Black History Month about, you know, golfers who they looked up to, and they both mentioned Ted Rhodes. 
So I investigated. Mm-hmm. I did a little due diligence to find out about them, and I was so impressed with the both of them because even though they're on different paths, they still want to accomplish the same goal, in my opinion. And I was really excited yep. because the foundation, we really, we really have gotten involved in working with our young people, uh, and so these guys just fit the mold. We have a program that's called, and I, and I looked at it, Tiffany is involved in that, and she'll be able to talk to you a little bit about that. It's careers in golf. Sure. And I think that's important mm-hmm. because often our young people look at golf. Well, they don't look at golf as something that they want to do. They think about basketball, football, baseball. But golf right. is a unique sport in my opinion. It requires a lot of mental ability. And these guys really, both of them, uh, really um, Im- impressed me. And so I reached out to them, and so I've been supporting them. Like Christian was one of our rising stars last year. We uh, helped him financially and also opened the sure. door to Christian with, in terms of our networking uh, contacts and things of that nature. So I've been able to be a, a, a vehicle to help these young men, and we will continue to do that. <clears throat> Just to kind of uh, piggyback on that a little bit, some of the things that we've done for our young people or will be doing is that we are in partnership with the first tee of Hammond and Lake County where we hosted, just finished right. hosting a youth golf event, which was really exciting. These young kids from the ages of 6 to 18 had their own, own tournament uh, a couple of weekends ago. And I thought it was important that they also learn about their history, learn about Ted Rhodes, what he, what he meant to the game of golf, and so we're just kind of getting the word out there because, it's, you know, we wanted to be a household name. It was It's really interesting how very few people even know who Ted Rhodes is. So that's our, that's been right. our responsibility, Tiffany and myself and some of the other people in the foundation. We've been trying to help spread the word so that people know that there were pioneers back in the day like my dad. Tiffany, let me ask you something. Well said, uh, Peggy. Thank you. Um, Tiffany, let me ask you a question just sort of on on what your mom was just talking about. Uh, It's extremely Mm -hmm. important, I think, you know, somebody being in the golf, I mean, I'm in the golf industry, uh, both as a teacher professional, but also what I do here with my programs. And Mm -hmm. it's extremely important that people understand the history of golf and all the history, not just, um, you know, the convenient truths and things like that. And, you know, your mom pointed out a very... um, a very interesting point here, and that is a lot of um, folks may not know who Teddy Rhodes uh, was, who he was. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, there's a generational difference between Christian and, right. and Patrick. I mean, they're both quite a bit younger, but um, so that's that's right. part of it, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you try to do or, or what is through the foundation do you try to do to make sure that they understand um, really how golf got started? for many folks like Christian and and Patrick? You know, it's a great question, Ted. One of the things that we do with the Ted Rose Foundation is to give students the opportunity to compete on a competitive level. And at our events, mm-hmm. we actually do a portion just on the history because it's one thing just for them to play in one of our golf events but not know why we're doing the event or know anything about the individual that the event is named after. So we have a piece where we talk about the history of African Americans in the game of golf and the struggles and the challenges that they had in the game and also the successes that they've had in the game as well. So it's important to us, Ted, in any event that we do, whether it's a golf clinic or a golf 
tournament that we educate the individuals about my grandfather because that's really why this foundation was created, was to keep his legacy alive, but ultimately to get more people of color into the game of golf. Right. So that's something that my mom and I are very passionate about, and we want to make sure that we spread the word about the game of golf and how fantastic it is and all of the opportunities. I think one of the challenges that we face is many of our students don't understand the types of career opportunities that you can have in the golf industry. Right. And Patrick and Christian are both true examples of things that you can do within the golf industry. So we want to expose them more to that. And we also have a career development segment. So we're teaching them life skills, how to present themselves, so that when an opportunity comes to interview with the golf course or to meet a golf professional, they know how to communicate. And they're educated enough about all of the opportunities available within the industry. Yeah, and that's extremely important, Tiffany. Sorry, go ahead, Peggy. No, 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 no. I, I, just real quick, and then you can talk with Tiffany, too. What I what I also want to say, Tiffany, may, maybe I'm stepping on her toes. Also, as part of the foundation's <laughs> goal and mission, we have a, a communication skill skills workshop, if you will, because as she had mentioned, they don't realize how important networking is. Golf is, you know, all about networking as well. Uh, in addition to playing right. the game. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in. Yes, and thanks so yeah, much well for said. mentioning that, Mom, <laughs> because that is really yeah. one of the important components. Ted is the communication piece. And my mom and I are both proud members of Toastmasters International, which is a fantastic organization that helps you enhance your speaking skills. And they have a youth development right. portion to that. So that's the piece also that we're working with the children on. Yeah, and that that is you, you hit it right on the and the, the nail right on the head. That's an extremely important um, area for for people, the skills that they need to develop. Um, uh, Kristen and Patrick, I'm going to ask you a question here in just a second, but I just want to sort of follow up one more thing with with you, Tiffany, and then I'm going to uh, jump on the guys here uh, with a couple of okay. questions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you talked about careers, and um, I think there's a misconception in the in the golf industry um, with the younger generation. I think when they see mm-hmm. golf on TV, it's it's about the tours. It's about the tour players, mm-hmm. and they don't really mm-hmm. understand that there's a whole myriad of other uh, opportunities out there. Not everybody's cut out to be the next Tiger Woods or or Annika right. Sorenstam or, or any of the other great players. Um, so uh, that's obviously something that you try to emphasize through the foundation, correct? Exactly, and the the program that Patrick came through at the University of Maryland Eastern Shores is a prime example of a program that gives you the opportunity to get into the management aspect of golf. And so we're really trying to educate the students, first of all, about how great the game of golf is, but going to college and even studying golf management or, you know, how to get involved in the golf industry so that we can get more people of color into PGA professional, PGA management roles. Yeah, and 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 that's a, a great thing for them to be introduced to because, uh, you know, as I just pointed out, not everybody maybe has the skill level to be the next top player on, on any of the tours, regardless male or female, um, but they may have skills – um, to be a great teacher professional or to work in the management side of golf or, uh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, being a, a, a good uh, a greenskeeper or what have you. There's all kinds of marketing, you know, you go on and on and on. 
Um, guys, I want to ask you a question, and, and Patrick, I'm going to let you go first, and then Christian. Um, you know, it's been often said that golf uh, mirrors life in so many ways. There's some great life lessons um, that you can learn even out in the golf course. Patrick, is there any life lessons that you feel that you've learned uh, or challenges on the golf course that you thought, you know what, that's kind of like how it is when I'm out here, um, you know, uh, out on the street, if you will. What life lessons, if you think, did you learn on the golf course that uh, have helped you uh, off the golf course? Okay. Um, well, first was the one that sticks, that sticks out to me the most is perseverance. Um, because in golf, mm-hmm. you're not always going to have your good days. And, you know, you're going to have a lot. You're going to have a lot more bad days than good days. But you know, it's that's... just about what's going to keep coming back. And uh, and that's and that's one of the things that I, I've always uh, uh, taken from golf into life. Because with life, just in general, uh, I know every day is not going to be all sunny days, and you know, with lemonade and, and everything in that order. So um, with with golf, I, I just learned how to persevere, and then with life, I have to persevere as well in order to get to the next day. Especially now that I'm out of college, uh, I have more of responsibilities such as bills and rent, and you know that kind of relates to um, uh, to to golf because I have to keep on coming back to work, and I have to you know I, I have to make make a difference uh, with myself. And then uh, make a difference uh, to see to, for for people for people to see me in a different light, so uh, they can so they can uh, you know value me as an employee. But um, uh, so yeah, so they can value me as an employee, and I can uh, um, and I can uh, really make it uh, make it to the next level of my career as well. And that's what golf has taught me. It's it's really taught me about the perseverance to to keep to keep pushing because every day is not going to be uh, good. It's how you're going to do on your bad days, which which is really going to make or break you. That's right. Well said. Um, Kristen, what about you? Obviously, uh, you've played a lot of golf, uh, being out on the tours and that, um, and you've been faced with many, many challenges. What life lessons do you think you've learned uh, playing golf that have helped you uh, uh, off the course? Yeah, oh, geez. I mean, I've been at it for a while, so I've learned <laughs> quite, quite a few lessons out there on and off. But, but um it kind of piggybacks or tells with the uh, the perseverance, but it's all about for me. What I found that helps me off the course is the the mindset. Um, you know, they say golf ninety percent mental, and I've really had to study the mindset in the game of golf and sports psychology. And I found that it's actually successful in a lot of things with life, as far as just keeping a positive attitude, um, not really beating yourself down too much, not you know being so negative because you're going to have bad holes and you're going to have good holes just like in life you're going to have good days and bad days uh no matter what you're doing but you can't let those negative days really deter like deter you away from your dreams and goals and get you down so you know just keeping a positive attitude in almost everything you do is really important and um really made a big difference in my life on and off the golf course well said, both of you. And do you think, guys, um, that what golf has also um, is, is helped to teach you that if you want to become a better player or if you want to become a better uh, business person, that uh, in addition to obviously some hard work, there's a little bit of, of thought that has to go into each day. You can't just you know, go out in the golf course and expect to shoot um, you know, under par every day. There, there's going to be some good days and bad days. Has it helped you mentally prepare uh, each day through some of the skills that you've learned on the golf course. Uh, Christian, I'm going to let you go first this time, and then Patrick. 
Okay, yeah, without a doubt. Especially one of the things that I do at the beginning of the year, I pretty much I set goals throughout throughout the year, and I also set kind of a goal ladder and steps to reach the goals, and the type of hard like what type of work needs to be done there. And I, I mean, I've applied that for several other things in life, for school, for finals, uh, to help me graduate college. I've said that as far as you know, some of the things I do off the course as far as helping kids get into the game of golf. And, you know, it takes planning and preparation um, in golf and in other things in life. So I pretty much put the two together, and it's been pretty uh, pretty effective in all aspects of my life as well. Fantastic. Um, Patrick, what about you? Oh, yes. And actually, uh, can you repeat the question again? Because uh, uh, I had a little back connection with, uh, with when you were asking the question. Yep. Yeah, no problem. Um, basically, what I was asking, I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase. Basically, what I was asking was, uh, you know, you have obviously good days and bad days um, in life and all on the golf course. Um, but playing on the course or playing golf, um, what has it taught you as far as preparing your day or, or as, as Christian just talked about, has it helped you sort of fine-tune or, or refine um, what it is that you do um, throughout your day. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, yes. Uh, so for each and every day, uh, well, I always take each and every day as, as a new challenge. So how can I be better from, from yesterday? That is my ultimate goal. And the same thing from, from golf. Uh, when I play golf, I want to see how I can be better than I was today. And same thing in life. I want to see how I can uh, you know, be a better person or see how I can uh, talk to people better or how I can I just uh, just go through my life in a better situation, uh, and that's and that's the main thing uh, when it comes to um, come to my mindset. And as far as Christian, as far as when Christian says setting goals and uh, having a game plan, uh, those will be my game plans as well. As far as far as you know, just trying to become that better person uh, in life, and that's how I take it for for both aspects. Well said, um, Peggy. I want to. Um, go back to you just for a second. Great, great answers, guys. Um, and obviously, uh, I know that uh, it, it sounds like you're putting a lot of um, hard work and, and effort into into your careers, and and uh, and obviously, most importantly, to your education. And that's uh, that's key, and, and and should be first and foremost. Um, Peggy, uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity because obviously, part of the reason you come on tonight is you want to uh, promote the uh, the tournaments, Nat. And I know there's one coming up in a few weeks, so why don't you just sort of lay it out for the folks. Uh, the, the tournament where it is and, and the dates and so forth and anybody that uh, if there's still some room to, to wiggle in there uh, where they can reach out to uh, to get more information and uh, and take part in the in the tournament. Okay, great. Before I do that too, I just want to say you could now um, now I'm sure that you can see why these two young men are so important and so special to mm-hmm. to the foundation. I'm really very proud of both of them as I said. And listen to them because what they talked about were some of the same things that my father had to deal with: perseverance, fortitude, stick-to-itiveness, and all those yep. wonderful traits. So, thank you guys. The tournament coming up, and I'm really excited. Uh, September 9th and 10th at the Ted Rhodes Golf Course in Nashville, Tennessee. It's an annual event. This is our 48th year, Tiffany. Yes. Yeah, this is our 48th. Wow. Year. We're at the Ted Rhodes Golf Course. It's a 36-hole stroke play event. It's an amateur event, but um, sure. and 
entries are still available. They can go on our website, tedroads.org. Also, if there's anyone who's interested in sponsoring, we would be more than happy to have them because this year we are going to have members of the Fifth University golf team participating as well as members of the First Tee of Middle, Middle Tennessee. So any sponsorship oh, okay. opportunities that, that who might be listening out there, if you can't participate, we would love to be able to, you know, have you donate. There is a donate button on our website uh, as well, so I wanted to say that. But we're looking forward to it. It's really an exciting event. We have people that come from all over to participate. Uh, guys have a good time and girls, and we just have fun. And we also, at that event, talk about Ted Rose as well. Wherever we get an opportunity, we do. And one other thing, too, Ted, I wanted to say, I didn't mention how important it was for those who might be listening who might not know and I know you know, and I know Christian and Patrick do, right. know as well, that Ted Rhodes, not only was he a professional golfer, but he uh, mentored Lee Elder and was Joe Lewis' personal golf coach, as well as Althea mm-hmm. Gibson. And those are names that people have all heard of or know about. And when we're talking to the kids doing our little lessons and games and asking them questions about Ted Rhodes, they remember or know those or have heard of those names, so we kind of tie it in with that, and it just makes it a little bit more meaningful to everyone. Yeah, and I, I remember you t- uh, sharing that on one of the earlier times uh, on the program about uh, him working with with Joe Lewis, and and uh, and obviously um, his name temporarily escaped me, but thank you for reminding me. But Lee Elder. Yeah. Uh, again, was also very early on. Thank you for reminding me. I was trying to think of him early when I men- mentioned Charlie uh, Charlie Sifford, um, uh, who was also uh, you know a-, a pioneer as well, really in golf. But really, they owe a lot of their legacies uh, to your father because your father really was, um, if not the first, one of the first African Americans to really break out into the golfing world. And uh, all of these gentlemen, right up to, as I said, uh, Tiger Woods, and, and now uh, Christian and, and Patrick, uh, owe a lot of uh, gratitude to uh, to your father for for doing what he did, because uh, they're able to to get out there and, and pave a way for their own futures. Um, Tiffany, what what else would you like to to say for those that maybe? Uh, let me rephrase this. Um, there might be some some young folks out there that are listening to the show tonight that might be interested in in golf. Uh, in some fashion, mm-hmm. not necessarily playing, but maybe mm-hmm. a career. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you advise them uh, to do, and, and how would they go about starting, uh, maybe looking into it? And is there something that the foundation uh, can do to help educate them? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. So we definitely want to get more youth involved in the game of golf. And I think there are a couple ways in which we can do it. So there are first tee programs around the country and individuals can learn life skills as well as learn how to play the game of golf through the first seed program. But then they can also learn about the careers of golf and things of that nature. The second piece is individuals can reach out to us directly. So they can reach out to us through our website, www.terrorist.org, and we can put them in contact with individuals in their respective areas. Because one of the things that we're seeing is there are many golf scholarships and they don't have students to give them to so they have money available for students to go to college free 
be on the golf team, but there are no not enough students that are interested in the game of golf. And so we often have nobody to recommend to many of these organizations. So there's a lot of opportunity for students to get into the game of golf. But the other piece of it, too, is really the networking piece, and that's the piece, being someone that's in corporate America. Networking is very important. So the people that you meet on the golf course can change your entire life, and it really helps you in terms of building your network. So that's the other piece that we stress with young people because many of them say, oh, I don't want to play golf, it's boring, but they don't understand all of the other aspects (laughs) of playing golf. You know, they see see basketball, they see Uh football on TV, and they see all the action, and golf seems slow to them, but they don't understand that it's a game where you can have a lot of fun, you can meet a lot of people, and there are a lot of opportunities that are out there. So we are willing to work with young people across the country to educate them on the opportunities available within the golf industry. Also, go ahead. If we have time, I would like for Kristen and Patrick to share with the, your listening audience how uh, how and why Ted Rhodes was so significant to 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 them. And also, I'd like for Christian, before we close, to give his website, and he's looking for sponsors sure. as well. Okay. Um, okay so all right. Well, let's do this. Uh, Pat, yeah, Patrick, let me let me have you go first, and, and then, Christian, I'll let you go second, and then you can give your website out uh, at that time. So, Patrick, go ahead. Um, um, if you heard what Peggy had said about uh, about Teddy Rhodes. Okay, yes. Um, well, from my upbringing, and as I was uh, told throughout the whole, uh, throughout my whole career so far, so far, uh, and how I feel about it, uh, Ted Rose, he's the godfather, <laughs> as you explained to me. Right. He was the godfather of of, of the golf, uh, of golf for, for African Americans. He was the first uh, first African first African American professional golfer. And as it was stated before, he taught uh, greats such as Lee Elder and Athea uh, Gibson. But he was, um, but as for my understanding, uh, as far as being the first African American and teaching all these other great players, uh, he was uh, he was known as the best ball striker anyone has ever seen. And that's what I uh, and that's what I try to teach uh, ball striking. That's what I always uh, I look forward to whenever uh, I'm I'm playing myself because I always hear how great Ted Rose was. Uh, of course, a golfer but how he just hit the golf ball and how he carried himself as a person and how he always dressed. Uh, and just just in those uh, aspects, it made me, it just made me think, well, if he could do it, I want to carry on, I want to carry on such a good legacy uh, that I, even though the torch is not being passed on to me, I want to help carry on a legacy of saying, hey, this is what was uh, here before, but now it's being carried on afterwards. Uh, because of because of a great athlete and a great person, uh, Ted Rose was. So uh, it's all about uh, keeping keeping his legacy uh, keeping his legacy going by the actions that uh, me and uh, Christian are, are able to do. Perfect. Well said, uh, Christian. How about yourself? Yeah, um, it really started for me. I guess when the kind of story "Uneven Fairways" came out by Pete McDaniel. And I started to realize right. that, you know, minorities really have a pretty strong um, thumbprint on the game of golf. You know, their, their history is pretty deeply rooted in there. And I decided, you know, having a role model is so important in anything that you do. And even for the role, especially for the role model to kind of look like you and have a similar background as you, and that kind of gives you something to relate on and gives you confidence on that mm-hmm. this has been done before and you can do it. 
So I started doing more research and uh, ran across, you know, the, the great stories. Everybody, well, a lot of golfers have heard of, you know, the Charlie Silvers and uh, the Lee Elders and the uh, just so so many of those guys. But, you know, Ted Rose, is, he's really a big part of the story. And for some reason, he's I feel like he's just the, one of the more, well, the most underrated um, golfer of that era. And, you know, the stories about how Sweetest Swing was just like uh, – just like those recently said, how you always be so flashy and would change clothes after nine holes and how he would carry himself and make people feel good whenever he was with them. And I kind of felt like, you know, that I embodied those same type of personalities and that I can relate to him the most. And I just wanted to keep looking more and more. I was looking online trying to find just, I wanted to see, I'd see this great swing that everybody talked about. And uh, I just really, got, you know, caught up in the, the Ted Rose story and tried to find out more and more about him. And, you know, just I, there's no telling where we would be now if it wasn't for him starting the, lit- the litigation with the uh, Caucasian-only yep. cause, um, teaching teaching uh, Joe Lewis, who was also was a big influence playing in the uh, Riviera Open or the L.A. Open back in the day. And there's no telling where we would be without him. So, you know, Ted Rose is just – he's a really big role model for me, and that's very important uh, and to have in, in anything that you want to do. So uh, that's definitely somebody I've tried to mimic and try to, you know, represent as I carry myself around the world pretty much playing in golf tournaments. Yeah. Well said. And boy, boy, Peggy, I, Peggy, I think you hit a hole-in-one with both of these young guys here. I mean, they're just fantastic. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, I feel the same way. I I feel honored. Yeah, no, they're they're very, uh, very, uh, very sharp, and and, uh, they they know they've got some some good goals and and some good uh, uh, good ideas for their future, and and I like to see that uh, in in a lot of our because that's something that you know we need to see more of in in, uh, the younger generation uh, coming up as a general rule, but particularly with uh, a lot of the minorities. I know that. have have had some some struggles, not even more so than than many of the others. So I, I'm glad to see that. And and what I'd like to do just before I, I lose some time here, but um, and Peggy, I'm going to ask you a favor if you can uh, forward my email to both of these gentlemen sometime after the show. And okay. guys, I want you to reach out to me. What I'd like to do is I'd like to have the two of you on uh, Patrick and Christian on uh, separately because obviously we want to be here to, to honor. Um, your father, Peggy, but uh, guys, if you'd like, I'd like to have you back on the show another time uh, just to talk uh, just about youth and golf and, and some of the things a little bit more in depth uh, if you're interested. So I'll, I'll let you uh, uh, think about that. And, and Peggy, if you can forward my contact information out to the two of them. And uh, and also, sorry, Christian, uh, Peggy mentioned something you wanted to give out your website. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that, that, that'd be great. We'd love to, all, anytime we get a chance to kind of share our thoughts and then our, our experience in the game of golf, we're definitely more than eager to do that. And, um, yeah, so my, my email or my website is christianheavengolf.com. Uh, just like, it's pretty much like the religion, the very religious name, christianheavensgolf.com. And, uh, you know, it's such a tough game and expenses are getting tough from traveling to Canada and Q school coming up. So, if anybody's listening and willing to help, I mean, it's more than appreciated and definitely needed. So uh, just that's why we want to kind of get that information out there for sure. 
Perfect. Sounds good. I've actually been on your website. And uh, Patrick, I know that uh, I'm sure you have some uh, contact information. For Obviously, you, you mentioned that you uh, teach golf and that. If somebody is interested in, and uh, maybe would like to connect with you, uh, I'll give you this opportunity before we, we have to, uh, to close off to uh, let the folks, if they want to reach out to you, how can they contact you? Uh, yes. Uh, so the best, uh, the best way to contact me, uh, I'm a big social media advocate. Um, the best way, and I'll give out my Instagram name, it is uh, P. Harris, so P, then Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, P-G-A. Uh, and, if you, uh, and if you follow me uh, or if you send me a message, uh, that's the best way to get in contact with me. Uh, and and I look forward to hearing from anybody because I uh, I just love talking about this game and seeing how we can make it grow. Perfect, hey Patrick. Um, Patrick. Yes. Oh, what about your email? You know, some of the seasoned people aren't <laughs> on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said seasoned. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, uh, and also my email address. Oh man, that was that was a good good quote. Uh, my email address is uh, Patrick Harris. Uh, Patrick Harris zero uh, zero one at gmail dot com. Thanks. That's, uh, nothing and then Patrick. No, I was just gonna say Patrick, Go and you're on the West Coast because you didn't mention what city you were currently at. What 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 city and state are you? The current golf course that you're working at? Uh, I'm yeah. in Sacramento, California, at Turkey Creek Golf Course. Perfect. So, so they I'm can they run. can reach out to the, yeah they can reach out to the club there if if somebody wants to uh, come and work with you. Uh, yes, sir. Perfect. Um, Peggy, I'm going to give you and, and Tiffany the last uh, couple of moments here before we have to go. I, it's hard to believe this hour is gone. I could I could go another hour um, if I had the time, but uh, just uh, you've got the tournament coming up. Just a quick relay of, of when the tournament's coming up and the dates and, and where they can go to get more information. Uh, and then Tiffany, if uh, very quickly, if you could also let them know uh, there's some other events throughout the year as well uh, through the foundation. If you could just uh, uh, let us know about those as well, uh, Peggy. But you okay. go ahead. Sure. Oh, oh, who's going first? Peggy, you go first uh, for the upcoming tournament, uh, and then Tiffany. The upcoming 48th annual Ted Rhodes Golf Classic is Saturday and Sunday, September 9th and 10th in Nashville, Tennessee. We have amateur slots still available. Our website is tedroads.org. There's a spot for you to get more information. There's a phone number. You can also give us a call, 877-913-9009. We're open and ready for the large number of people that will be reaching out to us. <laughs> and if I could just Perfect. add, we are preparing for 2018, and we'll have some exciting things taking place in 2018. We'll be doing our annual event that we always do in Nashville in September, but we will also be doing our event in St. Louis at the historic Forest Park Golf Course in July. So we'll have all of this information on our website. We'd love to have you be involved. If you'd like to support our cause in any way, we would truly appreciate it as we really want to get more of our children from the inner city into the game of golf. So any support that you can provide to our listeners, uh, we would really appreciate it. So as my mother mentioned, our website is www.tetrose.org. Our phone number is 877-913-9009. 
And we can't thank you enough, Ted, for this opportunity once again. I yes, really appreciate we appreciate it, Ted. Yes, thank you very well, much. Well, you're you're always not a problem. Uh, ladies and, and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's always a pleasure. Peggy, um, I'm still waiting for my invite to Las Vegas. I know you guys go out to Las Vegas from time to time. I see all the great uh, fun that you guys are having. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it out there. Uh, one of these days I'm going to make it out there. And, uh, hey, I'm gonna, hey, Ted, I'm how about coming to Nashville first? <laughs> All right, I'll do that first. That, that sounds good. Um, but anyway, excuse me, I'm losing my voice. But no, I want to thank you guys uh, sincerely for, for coming on tonight and, and sharing, a, you know, what a great legacy. Um, I know your father, uh, Peggy, would be very, very proud and grandfather, Tiffany. And um, and Patrick and Christian, um, you know, I would love to have you guys come back on again as well. So we'll we'll tee that up, uh, as it were. So I'll get uh, Peggy to, to reach out to you uh, with my information, and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. But uh, um, Peggy and Tiffany and, and uh, Christian and, and Patrick, thank you very much again. Uh, God bless for all the hard work that you guys are doing, and much continued success to, to you two guys uh, in your careers. And uh, we'll talk real soon, okay? All right, thank you, Ted. All right. Thanks so much, Ted. Thank you very much, Ted. All right. Bye-bye. Yes, thank you very All much. All right. We really appreciate it. Not a problem. You have a great evening. All right. Bye bye. You too. Bye okay, bye. Bye bye. All right. That was my very special guest, um, Peggy Rhodes White, uh, her daughter Tiffany White uh, from the Teddy uh, Rhodes Foundation. Uh, go to tedrhodes.org. Uh, um, Ted Rhodes Foundation, excuse me, dot org, to uh, to get more information on the uh, upcoming tournament, and uh, also um, thank you to Christian and uh, Patrick for coming on and sharing uh, their journey in golf. It's good to see a lot of young players, especially um, a lot of uh, the um, minorities that uh, have really had some struggles uh, in in life, and it's good to see that they're um, learning and, and understanding. Uh, through the Ted Rhodes Foundation, um, what a wonderful game golf is, and that it's really an all-inclusive game, that it's uh, for everybody that's, that's wanting to, uh, to get out there. And uh, as we talked about a little while ago, um, there are really so many life lessons that can be learned out in the golf course that can help you in your everyday journey. So uh, a couple of great guys. I'm going to have them back on the show and, and talk, them, uh, talk to them more about their careers and, and things. But uh, thanks to... Um, uh, Peggy Rhodes and, and Tiffany and Kristen and Patrick for joining me tonight. And thank you uh, again for joining me each and every week here on Golf Talk Live. I get a great amount of pleasure, of course, uh, from having a, a number of highly talented coaches and teacher professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs uh, that stop by. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that help make uh, Golf Talk Live a first-class show. A special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show, Jonathan Laird, uh, SouthCoastGolfGuide.com, and... Uh, Go to that website if you're interested in getting a copy of the guide or you want to learn more about some of the great tracks down here in the southeastern part of the United States. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com and get your copy of the guide uh, sent to you. Or if you're planning a trip down here in the southeastern part of the United States, uh, you can visit many of the local pro shops and many of the golf courses uh, here in the area, and uh, you can uh, pick up a copy and uh, a lot of great courses and information in the guide. So go to southcoastgolfguide.com. Meredith Kirk, a great LPGA teacher professional out in the Myrtle Beach area. Uh, go to meredithkirk.com as her website, and you can learn more about some of the great things that she's doing to help grow the game. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you for all of your help in spreading the word. Uh, please, uh, you know, keep doing it. I, I uh, thank you very much uh, to both of you for doing that. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Go to ontecgolf.com 
and you can get uh, uh, your hot little hands on a great custom putter uh, through ontigolf.com. And Sean Kelly, owner of LinkedGolfers.com. Uh, Linked Golfers, of course, is a great uh, social media platform that he's uh, taken from the LinkedIn network. Uh, Linked Golfers is uh, the largest golf group in LinkedIn, and he's uh, just uh, taken some of the great uh, things that he was doing there uh, out to his uh, outside social media site, LinkedGolfers.com. So make sure you pay them a visit. And, of course, last but not least, uh, my good buddy, uh, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you for all of your continued support of the program and on that note uh thanks again to the coaches corner panel john hughes peter egazarian for uh having a great uh, discussion tonight on the uh, coaches corner panel and i look forward to bringing another panel and another great guest next week here in golf talk live so make sure you tune in next thursday from 68 6 to 8 p.m central uh, right here on the blogtalkradio.com network Thanks, everybody, and don't forget to tune in Tuesday morning with Cindy Miller and I uh, on the Women of Golf, also on the blogtalkradio.com network. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the uh, uh, PGA Championship this weekend. God bless, and I look forward to seeing you next week here on Golf Talk Live.